0: Please stand for God's word. Read in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. Treasure in jars of clay. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that we who raised knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us to you into his presence. For it is all of your, it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's word. The message
1: that drew me to Jesus Christ began God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It was supported by Jesus' words I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. How do we envision the abundant life? I envisioned it as a long, healthy, happy life where my loved ones were continually protected. I'd have the near-perfect family, a fulfilling job that would last through right into retirement, and a trip to Spain every summer. <laughs> but that's far from the lives we experience. We're in a pandemic, we're seeing war, disease has ravaged many in our congregation lost jobs, wayward children, broken relationships, the consequences of our own personal sin, and in many corners of the world, persecution of Christians. The Bible doesn't hide these facts from us. Christians will face adversity over and over again. We'll feel the pain from which we want instantaneous relief. Paul wrote that he and his companions were afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And yet in his letter to the Philippians, which he writes from prison, speaks of joy and rejoicing 14 times in just four chapters. In Romans, Paul says, we glory in our suffering. And James adds, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Perhaps suffering isn't a deterrent to the abundant life. Maybe it's a gateway to it. Let's pray. Our Lord, meet us today with your spirit. Only you can make these words real to our hearts. Only you can comfort us with them. Only you can challenge us with them. Only you can make us alive in these truths. Meet us today. Amen. Some people look at a half-filled glass of water and say it's half-empty. The others say it's half-full. I believe Paul could look at what was an empty glass and say it's full because Paul looked at that which we don't see. He writes it in verse 18. We look not at the things that are seen but at the things that are unseen. He looked at his body and he saw a fragile clay pot but he also saw an invaluable treasure inside. He looked at the moment and saw eternity. He looked at affliction and saw glory. If we want to experience the abundant life in a broken world, we need to see what Paul saw and value what Paul valued. He saw and valued God's glory above all else. The salvation over his own life, in the eternal glory he would receive that so far surpasses as any treasures this earth offers. God, Paul sought God's glory. He welcomed his suffering because he wanted God to be glorified above all else, and he knew that God's glory would shine through his weakness. Verse 7, We have this treasure in jars of clay, To show that their surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Paul's opponents used his weaknesses, his frailty, his suffering to discredit his authority. Paul responded by owning his weaknesses. He felt fragile, inferior, expendable, like a jar of clay. But that didn't bother him. Because there was an immeasurable treasure in that jar of clay that treasure is described in verse 6 the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ the treasure is the gospel truths that reveal every facet of God's glory and character and includes every blessing given to us through Christ's death and resurrection. It includes seeing God in his glory, in his love and justice and holiness and wisdom and faithfulness and goodness, all displayed at the cross and allows us to experience God's forgiveness, his cleansing, his new life, his new purpose, his new empowerment through the Holy Spirit, a new heart, a new spirit, and eternal hope. That's a treasure that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that every believer has accepted and is a part of him or her. Paul wanted people to see his weakness so that they'd see his ministry was empowered by God, not by him and his companions. You know, if a 350-pound man chiseled with muscles lifted a 500-pound weight we'd be in awe of his personal strength. If a 90-pound weakling came, took a pill, and lifted 1,000 pounds, we'd credit that pill. Paul was happy to be seen as a 90-pound weakling. It wasn't a pill that gave him his strength. It was his God. You know, that's an attitude foreign to Paul's day and to our day as well. We want to be seen as overcomers when we face adversity. We want it to to point to our strength, our superiority, our grit, our manliness, our self-sufficiency. Paul wanted them to see his weakness so that we might look and see that valuable treasure that lived inside. To God be the glory. That's what Paul wanted. You know, Paul showed us in chapter 12 how he came to this understanding. He didn't always have it. He says that he received a thorn in the flesh that a servant of Satan was beginning to crush him with. And so he did what we all do. Cry out to God, remove it. Three times, remove it, God, remove it. God, don't you love me? Remove it. And God didn't, but instead God spoke to him and said, My grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul says, I most gladly boast in my weakness that the power of Christ might live through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. But that's when the power of God works through me. The treasure within us, the glorious gospel of grace and the indwelling Holy Spirit sustained Paul through every hardship, which is expressed in verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Note how the first word in each couplet brings heart-rending pain. The second word speaks of comfort that sustained Paul and his companions. See, we can endure the pain if we know that it's going to end, but it's going to end with God being greater. Now, we know God holds our affliction in His hands, and He will also bring the comfort. You know, a few years ago, the youth group went to Six Flags, and at the time, Superman was the roller coaster that brought fear into people like me. And <laughs> I was talking to one of, one of the teens afterwards, and he said, oh, yeah, he was afraid as he was in that line, and the closer he got, the more afraid he got. But then he kept telling himself, it won't go off the tracks. It won't go off the tracks. It won't go off the tracks. I'll make it to the station. And that allowed him to relax and enjoy the, the trip. You know, our lives are roller coasters, but they're held in God's hands. And they won't go off his track. They won't go off his track. He'll bring us into his station. And Paul knew that. Paul wrote that he and his companions were afflicted. This describes the hardships and stresses of life. Paul was shipwrecked. He was confronted by daily dangers. He labored tirelessly. He carried emotional burdens for the churches. And he faced satanic attacks to tear him down. We're all afflicted and stressed at various points in our lives. Find comfort in God's sovereignty. Knowing that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him to those who are aligned with his purposes. When Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, he felt it would crush him. Instead, he learned the most valuable lesson we could ever learn. God's grace is sufficient. They were perplexed. You know, most of us can immediately relate to this. Paul must have wondered, why God? Why is this happening? Why why do I feel deserted now? Why this? Why this persecution when, when I'm making headway? If we're honest, we all have questions for God at times. Just like Paul, just like Job, just like those who ask, why would a loving God allow such suffering and evil? We're perplexed. But like God, we won't be driven to despair if we look at the gospel treasure inside of us. See, when we're perplexed about the dark days in our lives, the gospel says we can trust God with our darkest days. Because what appeared to be the darkest day in history, when the creature crucified the creator, became Good Friday the greatest day in history once Jesus was raised from the dead. When we question God's love, we can look to the cross and see how great God's love for us and realize if God loves us so much he gave the life of his son for us, he's the one whose plan we are living out. It's loving even when we don't feel it. When we wonder why God allows so much agony in different chapters of our lives, the gospel declares the last chapter in the life of every believer will read, they were ushered into God's presence to live in perfect joy in the light of his glory and grace forever. We're perplexed but not despairing if we look at the gospel. They were persecuted. Paul was continually hunted by men who plotted his destruction. He was imprisoned a number of times, but he was never forsaken. In one case, he and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi. God was with them, they were praising God in their songs, and an earthquake came and opened the door, and it led to the conversion of the jailer. In Philippians, he writes about another time from prison itself and says his imprisonment has led the gospel to go throughout the Praetorian Guard. He was persecuted but not forsaken. God used it. You know, most of us haven't faced real persecution, If we do, remember, we have the same God Paul has. He will never leave us or forsake us. Paul and his companions were struck down. They were physically assaulted. Paul recounted countless beatings. Five times he received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was pelted with stones and left for dead. Over and over again, he fell this close to death. But he was not destroyed. He always kept up and kept preaching. Knocked down, but got up. Knocked down, but got up. Preached. One day, yes, he got knocked down. The Romans executed him. But even then, Paul would say, I wasn't destroyed. My execution was the pathway to what I've wanted more than anything else, the presence of God himself. And that's a reality for every believer. We have the same promise. It's in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's the end, the story of every Christian no matter what we endure in this life. You know, Paul valued his difficulties because through them he glorified God. He boasted in his weakness so the power of Christ could be seen through him. He was content being a jar of clay shining the great treasure of the gospel to God's glory. His weakness showed the power of Christ and brought him honor. Paul was passionate about God's glory. He was also passionate about others in reaching them for Christ. He welcomed affliction and persecution because they accomplished in and through him valuable things in the lives of others. Lord, bring it on so others might be touched. They might be touched by seeing a sliver of Jesus and might be led to Christ himself. We read in verses 4 through 11, excuse me, chapter 4, 10 through 11. Always caring about in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We who live are being given over to death For Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You know, few of the Corinthians ever saw Jesus. Few of them ever saw what Jesus suffered for them. But Paul's persecution gave them a sliver of Jesus. Now, for this to be accomplished, Paul had to exude the character of Christ. It was his suffering that made him more and more like Christ. As he said in Romans 5, we rejoice in suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Suffering can move us further from God or closer to him. If it drives us to God, it will transform us. It will confront our idols, drive us into God's word for comfort and direction, lead us to rely on the Holy Spirit, change our values, and move us to find our all in all in Christ. Metal is shaped and strengthened through heating. A diamond is formed through pressure. A beautiful piece of ceramic must go through fiery trials. A fire kiln. Transformation into the image of Christ will include refining and fiery trials of life. You know, Malcolm Mudridge said this, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. <clears throat> Paul welcomed affliction and persecution because it resulted in others seeing a sliver of Jesus in him. In addition, it's because of what 2 Corinthians 4.12 says. So death is at work in us and a life in you. Paul lived under the constant threat of death because he was sharing the life-giving gospel. If he kept the gospel to himself, if he kept his faith private, he wouldn't have gone through any of this persecution. But he said, bring it on because the message you're persecuting me for is going to bring people to Christ. And I treasure that more than anything. That, you know, I'm willing to endure anything so that may happen. You know, before we move to the last point, just want to uh, reinforce the first point. Paul desired God's glory above everything else. We see that in verse 15. It's all for your sake, but so that the grace that extends to more and more people will increase to thanksgiving, to the glory of God. You know, when people discovered the grace of God in Christ... They worshiped God. They thanked God. They praised Him. More and more voices were joined to the chorus of God's praise. Paul risked his life to enlarge that chorus so God would be glorified. Paul wanted God to be glorified more than anything else. He loved others and risked his life so they might believe in Jesus. And there's a third motivation that moved Paul to embrace his hardships, the resultant glory that Paul would experience forever. Paul knew by being faithful to God, he would be glorified, and he looked forward to that day. You know, this can sound self-serving. We might recoil at the thought of a spiritual giant desiring personal glory. But note, he wants the glory of God, not glory from man. But C.S. Lewis corrects uh, wrong attitudes when he said, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. GOD WANTS US TO ENJOY HIS GOODNESS GOD THE FATHER CREATED HUMANITY AND HE PLACED HIM A PARADISE GOD THE SON SAID I CAME THAT YOU might HAVE LIFE AND HAVE IT ABUNDANTLY THE FRUIT OF THE HOLY SPIRIT INCLUDES LOVE JOY PEACE GOD WANTS US TO EXPERIENCE HIS GOODNESS Problems arise when our self-interests become more than our desire to glorify God. Problems come when we seek our fulfillment through what our joy, through what the world offers, rather than what God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit offer. If we seek our fulfillment and joy in the world, we will draw closer to the world. When we seek our fulfillment in Christ, we draw closer to God. Since Paul sought his fulfillment in Christ, his trials transformed him inwardly and gained him an eternal weight of glory, verses 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul's clay pot aged, and affliction took its toll on his body. His outer self was wasting away, But the same persecutions that were taking a toll on his body were producing an inner transformation into the image of Christ. One commentary contrasts what Paul was going through with a story of Dorian Gray. In the story, the vain Dorian Gray has a portrait painted. And when it's finished, he laments, how sad. I'll grow old and horrible, and the picture will stay the same. It'll never grow older. If I could change that, if if I could never grow older, and the picture took on all that I am, I would give my soul for that. And Dorian Gray got his wish. The portrait became a mirror of his soul. It showed every sign of evil and aging. He locked it away to prevent the world from seeing the truth about himself. The contrast between the loathsome, evil, and wrinkled visage on the campus and his exquisite outward appearance grew more stark every day. In Paul's case, it's the opposite. They might have looked at Paul and seen somebody getting older, withering, A crushed apostle, overwhelmed by hardships, but in reality, the real Paul, on the portrait locked away in heaven, was being transformed into the image of Christ. Paul valued that picture, and he he, he treasured the resultant glory that he would experience for eternity. He weighed this glory against the afflictions he experienced. He put all the afflictions, afflicted, struck down, persecuted. He put it all on one side of the scale, so heavy. And then he looked at the eternal weight of glory. And all of a sudden, they became Excuse me, they're heavy. <laughs> he put the eternal weight of glory, and all of a sudden, they seemed as light as a feather. Now, listen, listen to what Paul calls light momentary affliction. He gives us a, a little of it in chapter 11, verses 23 and following. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, Often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 49 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who was weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? Light momentary affliction. That's not what I would say. I would say unrelenting, unending... Merciless, crushing afflictions. Paul says, light momentary. Momentary. This was over decades. But Paul compared it to eternity. In decades, in comparison to eternity, nothing. Heavy, heavy. But he compared it to the eternal weight of glory that he would receive in God's presence. What's this glory? It's a sharing in God's glory. Think of God's glory for a moment. Isaiah 6 says that the angelic creatures, the seraphim, who are in God's presence in the presence of his glory which is so brilliant the angels have to cover their eyes and he's saying that's what I'm going to share with God in Jesus' high priestly prayer he prayed father the glory that you've given me I've given to them Peter spoke about sharing God's glory. Paul said that God calls us into his glory. Peter told the elders they would one day receive the crown of glory. Paul wanted what God wanted for him, a sharing in the glory which Paul is now experiencing. You know, we tend to look at the treasures we can see and value them, Paul looked at the treasures that were unseen and valued them. Verse 18. As we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. So what's the abundant life? It's the life that Jesus lived. It's the life that Paul lived. It's a life that treasures the glory of God, loves others and wants them to have the gospel of Christ, and values being in the glory of God and shining with Him. It's the life expressed in the lyrics Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You want to sing that refrain with me? Father, hear our praises. Give us Paul's vision of the abundant life. Oh, there's pain, but the joy is inexpressible. Lead us by your Spirit, in Jesus' name.